Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Holy Hunger. This is the last week of this series, Holy Hunger. The first week of this series, we looked at the temptations that Christ faced while fasting in the wilderness. And I told you that we have to deal with those same temptation, temptations, and holy hunger begins when we learn to curb those appetites, when we don't give in to those temptations. The second week, we focused on how unholy hunger will cause you to place, place too much value on the temporal, and it will devalue the eternal. And then last week, we looked at the natural hunger that we are born with, and there are many things that can fill us, but only one can truly satisfy Jesus said at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Amen? We've got to desire to be in his presence, church. We've got to desire that, and that's what's happening through this, this fast that we've been on through this series and through the worship that's been taking place and and our consecrate services, we are just developing a desire to be in his presence. The word holiness, say that word with me, holiness. Say it again, say holiness. Oh, some of you just, just, I've watched you shiver when you said it because the word holiness is an interesting word for those of us who were raised in church, especially for those of us who were raised in certain types of churches, me being one of them. It's unfortunate that the word holiness often has this negative connotation to it, and it does. It causes some people to flinch because it reminds them of a time when legalism prevailed in the church, and it still does in some churches. In the 19th century, the holiness movement was birthed when, uh, with the Protestant movement in America, and it initially got strength within the Methodist movement. And eventually, it it found its way into Pentecostal churches, and and if you know me, you know I was born into a Pentecostal pastor's home, and and we took it pretty seriously in our home. Specifically, Dad took it really seriously in our home, and what Dad said went. I I remember um, I I was born into this, but... And this is going to be so foreign for some of you, yet for some of you, I am going to, to stir up unwanted memories. But, but I, I remember women couldn't cut their hair. They, just couldn't, they had to let their hair grow long, and, and they either wore it like, like really long, or they would fix it. And I don't know how. I mean, it's like teasing and all this kind of stuff, and, and they would create this big beehive on their forehead. If you were to look at some of my, my baby pictures with my family, you would see that my mom's hair, my mom had a beehive that, that, that is to be remembered. I mean, it, it deserves its own uh, Facebook page. It really does. My mom had the do. And, uh, and, and, and women couldn't wear makeup. I'm going to be nice right now, but I've heard it said every old barn needs a little paint. But women couldn't wear makeup. Women, <laughs> let's just pray and go home. I mean, it's, it's like it's over right now, right? Women couldn't wear makeup. Women couldn't wear jewelry. Like my mom didn't even wear a wedding band. And, and you just didn't wear jewelry. Women could not wear, wear pants or slacks. Certainly not shorts. And so they were always in these very modest dresses. They, they looked like a bunch of Midianites just walking around. You know, that's, that's, that's how it was. Borderline Amish. 
And it, it was just forbidden in a, in a holiness church. Women, women couldn't wear shorts, so they, they created these things called kulaks. I don't know if anyone, anybody in the room, is this so foreign to everyone? Does anybody know what kulaks are? Raise your hand. They're the most ridiculous things. I hope you're not wearing any today. But <laughs> they were a form of, of you remember in the, in, the, in the late 80s and well, probably more the early 90s when, when the basketball shorts got really baggy, really baggy? It was like the women's version of those basketball shorts. I mean, they were just really baggy, and, and it, from certain angles, it looked like they were wearing a skirt. I mean, it was, let's just keep moving. I'm losing some of you right now. Men, men couldn't grow their hair out long, certainly not past the collar. Imagine what it was when the pastor's son walked in with a mullet. Men had to wear long sleeve dress shirts. And, and men couldn't wear shorts either. Matter of fact, my oldest brother, he played basketball in high school like I did. Now, by the time I made it to high school, dad had become a little bit more relaxed on some things. But my oldest brother could not wear the, the uniform shorts like the rest of the team. He had to play basketball at, at home games where possibly someone from the community could see him. He, he had to wear jogging pants while the rest of the team wore shorts. And then when they were at away games, he would, he would dress out with the rest of the team without dad's knowledge. You couldn't go to the movie theater, or as they called it, the picture show. It was forbidden. That was not holy. And so you could not go to the movie theater. I was in eighth grade before I ever stepped foot in my first movie theater to watch a movie, and dad didn't know about it for the next two years. I would have to sneak into the movie theater. So you can understand now, if you weren't raised in that, if you have, have, have no memory of that, if, if you're not scarred from that, you can see how some of us are, and that term holiness was associated with more don'ts than do's. And this obviously, it left this bad taste in the mouths of so many people who were made to feel unworthy because of their choices of clothing, or, or, or their, 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 their choices of fashion, or, their, or even some of their practices. And as with anything, church, you let man put their hands on something that is sacred, and we will mess it up. I saw this all over Jerusalem, holy sites all over Jerusalem, where they have built obnoxious churches all over it. And, 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 and for me, it, it ruined the history of it. And anytime there is something sacred, you, you can rest assured when man puts their hands on it, it is going to ruin it. It's no different than the 613 laws that were defined by the rabbis. 356 of them were, were negative commandments. That, that means don't do this. While 248 of them were positive commandments that said do this. So the don'ts outweighed the do's. Obviously, according to Scripture, there's a call for us to be holy. And so, how do we reconcile this? How do we reconcile becoming holy when any time man puts their hands on it, we mess it up? When God called the Israelites out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, he, he was forging a new relationship with them. 
This was important to God. This was his chosen people. And over a period of 400 plus years before the Exodus, they had strayed away from the relationship with God that their forefathers had. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was just a distant memory. It was a legend. It was folklore to most of them. And there was this new opportunity to know God and to trust him personally, to get to know him on a different level. God was now becoming very real to them as he was raising up a leader and he was guiding them by a pillar of fire and a cloud by night. So God gave Moses these instructions. Listen to what he told him. Leviticus 11.44, which by the way, some of you who are reading through the Bible this year, just understand when you get to the book of Leviticus, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Press through it. Press through it. Um, because there's some truths in there that, that, will, that will seep into you that you will not even understand. But Leviticus is tough. It's tough for any of us to read. But, but listen to what God told Moses to tell the people in, in Leviticus 11 and 44. He said, For I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. Be holy, for I am holy. Listen to Leviticus 11 and 45, the very next verse. He says, For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. A few chapters later in Leviticus 19 and 2, he says, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. There is no doubt in Scripture that he calls us to live a lifestyle that is holy. And God was calling Israel into a relationship to be like him. I'm holy, therefore you need to be holy. And after he got them out of Egypt, he had to get Egypt out of them because that was part of the big problem. They were so influenced by the culture of Egypt, even the gods that they worshipped became their gods. And so now they had to learn to put trust in the true and living God. And so he was having to reprogram them even after the, 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 the exodus out of Egypt. Egypt was still in them and God had to pull that out of them and reprogram them. And he still calls humanity today to this relationship. Man, if we are not influenced by culture, church, I don't have time to get into this today, but we are so influenced by culture. And sometimes I'm afraid that that culture gets in us and it blocks the ability for us to be able to have a true relationship with God to worship him in spirit and in truth. Culture affects all of that. And today, he still calls us into that relationship to empty ourselves of this culture and put the heavenly kingdom inside of us. Listen to the words by the apostle Peter in the New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he says, But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, and now he goes back and quotes Leviticus, you must be holy because I am holy. So don't think for one second this is an Old Testament practice that doesn't carry over to the New Testament. It certainly does, and Peter tells us that. He, he said, you've got to be holy in everything that you do just as God who chose you is holy. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking to yourself, this is an impossible task. This is impossible. 
I know me. How can I be holy? Okay, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one in the room. But I know me. I don't need any amens from down here, okay? I know me. How can I be holy? And this is a question that I want us to answer today. As we close out 21 days of fasting and prayer, I want us to answer this question, how can we become holy? Have you ever had someone in your life and you just knew that if God is pleased with anyone, he's pleased with them? You ever had one of those goody-goodies in your life? I mean, they, they've got everything figured out. They don't make mistakes, and everybody loves them. And, and they just seem to have their head on right. They're, they're, they're kind to everyone. They've got a heart for people. They just seem to do the right things at the right time, all the time. And, and it makes some of us sick. We love them. We admire them. And, and everybody loves them. But, I mean, sometimes they're... they're they're more like the Mother Teresa of our generation, or at least our, our circle of influence. And, and if God is grading on a bell curve, then we're still out of luck because they set the standard so high, we're not going to get any, you know, not that many few extra points there, you know? And so what do we do? How do we become holy like he is holy? And, and that's the question that we will answer today. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is an interesting book in the Bible. It is, so, so many people refer to it as the mini Bible, and I don't have time to get into all the details of it, but, but when you read through the book of Isaiah, that there's, there's almost an Old Testament, and, and then there's a New Testament, and there's almost living under the law, and then living under a new covenant as, as it talks about what's, what's to come, and it's, it's an interesting book, but I want you to listen to what the prophet witnessed in Isaiah chapter 6, we'll begin by reading the first four verses, and then we'll pick it up in a few moments. Verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Let me, let me stop just for a moment, because I want to make sure that everybody in the room follows this. This is what God is imparting into this prophet. And it's so important that we see what he sees. That in this writing, we get to witness what he witnessed. So listen to it again. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. A very similar parallel to the day of Pentecost. Let's pause there just for a moment. A crisis 
A crisis can be defined as an event or experiences that changes one's life. Here in chapter 6, Isaiah describes one such experience when he says these words, in the year that King Uzziah died. In the year that King Uzziah died, here's what I witnessed, here's what I saw. And it's so important that we realize that he is specifically saying that this is a year that stands out as though his readers will recognize this year that he's talking about. In the year that King Uzziah died, it would be like us saying, you know, in 2020, it's a year that not one of us will forget anytime soon. It is a year that was challenging to so many people. Unless you were born on January the 1st, 12.01 a.m. or after that, you'll remember 2020 for the rest of your life. Unlike some other kings, Uzziah ruled well for 52 years. Overall, he was a pretty good king for Israel. The Bible says that Uzziah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's how it describes him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a very intelligent man. He, he was an innovative king. The state of Judah prospered under his leadership. He was a strong commander-in-chief. The army flourished. They had victories under his leadership. You, you know, he commanded skilled men to create artillery that, that could shoot arrows and large stones from enemies from their city walls. Very innovative for his time. He, he was great for the nation's agriculture. As the Bible says that he loved the soil. And so he, he, he cared for the crops. He cared on, on, on how the, the, the agriculture uh, industry would, would thrive during his reign. Even though he had his faults. Overall... There was a security for Isaiah in knowing that Uzziah was in charge. There, there, was, there was security in just knowing that this man was sitting on the throne of Judah. But King Uzziah was stricken with leprosy and, and it eventually led to his death. The death of such a king, it was a crisis. It was a crisis in the life of Isaiah. Some people even think that it possibly could have been his cousin. But he was close with the king. He had a good, a good reputation with the king. He had, he had the king's ear and, and, and could often enter into his presence and share his thoughts with the king. In crisis, we have four responses. We can either crumble. Oh, I've watched some people do that throughout 2020. Or we can complicate, which means we can make matters worse. I, I, I've definitely seen people do that during 2020. We can cope, which means we, we're just going to endure it. Just get me through this season. I've just, I've just, I've just, I just got to keep on keeping on. Just get through it. Keep doing the same thing and, and just hopefully we'll get through this thing. Or finally, we can change. We can change. In the middle of March, I watched as our church staff reacted to COVID-19 and, and particularly a stay-at-home order when none of us knew what to do. I, I want you, we're so far past that now that, that I, I don't think sometimes we all understand what, what life was like back then, but, or we don't remember quite 
what it was like, but, but, but think about this with me. None of us knew what we were facing. None of us understood it. And I can tell you this, as a church staff, we certainly did not understand it. And, and we chose at that moment to change quickly. We started church online for 10 weeks before we moved into this facility. We didn't even have a home. If we wanted to meet, we couldn't meet because they kicked us out of the middle school. They said, no, we're not having anyone come in until the students return. So we couldn't go back there. And so for 10 weeks, we were forced to have church online. Many of you joined us online during that time. But I can tell you, our staff, we did the very best that we possibly knew to do in, in uncertain circumstances. And, and we, 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 we chose to change the way that we did things so that we could meet the need for the moment. And since then, we have had to change to thrive in these times and circumstances. And I can tell you, it has stretched us. It has stretched you. And, and, and I, I, I just have to ask you, have you asked yourself that question, what was my response to the coronavirus? Did I crumble? Did I complicate? Did I cope? Or did I change? Even now, so many people are devastated that they, and, and listen, let me, let me stop just for a second. I don't want you to read anything into what I'm about to say. I'm just stating a reality, okay? So many people right now are devastated that they lost their president. And, and I get that. I, 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 I know the disappointment. I've experienced the disappointment of not seeing my personal political preference played out in Washington. I, I know the feeling and it happened before, and I can tell you again, if, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, it'll happen again at some point. Everybody always thinks it's the end of the world when the person they want for president doesn't get elected. Just stay the course, church. Stand for what you believe in and stay the course. I promise you we're going to be okay. Amen. And we have this... Amen. <clears throat> We have this tendency to create a throne, a throne in the Oval Office. And we've got to be careful with this, church. But always remember this. When the throne in your life is vacated, heaven's throne is always occupied. And he's not giving it up. He's not giving it up for a donkey. He's not giving it up for an elephant. I'm telling you this. Jesus Christ sits upon his throne and he is still in charge and the church is going to be okay. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> but every time that we face a crisis in our lives, it's this opportunity to lean into God and to experience his presence. Every time we have a crisis in our life, it's an opportunity to change. Amen. To allow God to change us, usually from the inside out. Because usually there's some stuff going on in here that I've got to get fixed. And when this gets fixed, it is the fruit of my life and it's evident to everyone else around me. Think about this. The, 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 the darkest, the deepest crisis of your life is usually death when you lose someone that's close to you. And it's still an opportunity for us to lean into God and to experience his presence because the Bible says that God is close to the brokenhearted. So even in your moment where you hurt the most, I witnessed this this past year with the death of my father. And I know how he pulled in close to me that he is close to the brokenhearted. And you have an opportunity in every crisis in life 
to experience the presence of God and be changed by the presence of God if you will allow him to. And in the middle of disappointment, in the year that his king died, Isaiah saw the Lord on his throne and he said he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Man, what a vision. It's amazing what God allowed him to see and it's in that moment that immediately, immediately Isaiah recognizes his own flaws and his own shortcomings. Verses 5 through 7, listen to this. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. Man, I just described some of us right there. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. When he saw the king, when he saw the Lord, he realized that my lips are not clean, and the people that I'm around, theirs aren't either. And then he said, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. It's in that moment where he sees the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. It's in that moment when he realizes, man, woe is me. I'm unclean. I don't even deserve to be here in his presence. That God was faithful to cleanse this man of his iniquity and his sin. The, the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh. In Kadosh, it means to separate all that is sacred from all that is common and profane. Understand this. Everything, everything that we can touch can be declared holy or not. Oh, this is, this is not about giving, but, but trust me when I say even your paycheck can be declared holy or unholy. It separates all that is sacred from all that is common and profane. Numerous times throughout Scripture, God is referred to as the Holy One of Israel. Often the word holy is used as an adjective to describe what belongs to God. And we know this. We know that time, space, objects, and people can become holy if they are submitted to God. Whatever it is in your life, if it's submitted to God, it can become holy because it's set aside, it's consecrated for Him. In the Bible, Sabbaths and feasts were considered holy days or seasons. The Old Testament tabernacle and then the New Testament temple, they were considered holy. The, the, the furniture and the utensils used in the holy places, they were considered holy. The, 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 the bronze altar, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings, the lampstand, the table of showbread, the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat upon it. All of those things, all of those objects were were considered holy because they were, they were consecrated to God. And even, even the Israelites were considered holy in the fact that God laid claim to them and said, they belong to me, these are my people, therefore they are holy. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in the seaside town of Capernaum. I've been there. And in the middle of a sermon, and now there's the remains of a second synagogue that sits there, but you can see the base of the old one. And we were there, we witnessed it, and it was there in that synagogue that Jesus is in the middle of preaching. He is sharing the scriptures 
And a demon-possessed man cries out in verse 24, and listen to what he says. He says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Even the demons recognize his holiness. And it's been said that God cannot be in the presence of sin. I may have said it. And if I said it, I repent of it right now. But it's been said that God can't be in the presence of sin. And, and really, it's two verses where we get this from. Psalm 5 and 4 that says, For, for you are not a, a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. And, and then Habakkuk 1 and 13 that says, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. And I believe that to be true. But, but we do know that God came looking for Adam and Eve and conversed with them in the garden after they had sinned. So he was in the presence of sin. We know that Satan came before God to accuse Job, the accuser of the brethren. The first person that we realize that, that he accuses before God is, is Job. And, and Satan was in the presence of God to have that conversation. We know that many times Jesus stood in the presence of sinners and even had meals with them. The truth is this, church. God can be in the presence of sin, but sin can't remain in the presence of God. Sin cannot remain in the presence of God. This is why some people, some of you right now, when we start getting this deep, when we start seeking God with everything within us, with all of our strength, it becomes uncomfortable. Because when you are not willing to submit that sin and say, Lord, I need you to help me fight this. I want to overcome this in my life. It will cause you to flee the presence of God because sin cannot and it will not be in the presence of God. It will flee from him. And the number one thing that keeps us from being in his presence is our own shortcomings and our own sinful nature. It's not God banishing us away from him. He says, come to me. Come to me, come to me. And it's our guilt, our shame, it's our sinful nature. These are the things that make us feel unworthy to be in the presence of a holy God. And when we focus on those things, we choose not to be near him, not to pursue him, not to chase after his presence. And church, holy hunger, it allows us to come before him just as we are. How many of you are imperfect today? I want to see your hand raised. If there's anybody near you that's not raising their hand, you lay hands on them right now and cast a demon out of them. The demon of lying, the spirit of lying is all over them because, man, we are imperfect people in this room. If anybody ever tells you you've got to be perfect to go to this church, man, you, you come tell me about it. We'll run them out of here. So many people run from God because they just have too much to fix before they can get serious about a relationship with him. And in doing this, our mentality, it's putting the cart ahead of the horse. We're not holy because we did anything right. We're holy because he did everything right. That's why we are holy. We are holy because he is holy. It's not from your works. It's not from what you've accomplished. It's not even from serving. It's, even if you are going to be working nursery in the second service, trust me, you're up here on my totem pole, okay? I, I, I admire you for being able to do that. I can't do it. I would kill your kids. But it does not make you holy. And there's two groups of people that need God. People who think that they are too good, that's self-righteousness, and people who know that they're not good enough. They need God too. And trust me, we all fall into one of those two categories. We all need God. 
And both of these mentalities, they are arrogant and prideful when it comes to being holy. Both. Even the person that says, I'm not, I'm not good enough. That is arrogant and prideful. You're saying that you can accomplish it within your own will and your own ability. And we've got to learn, church, to submit our pride and our arrogance to him because in that we become like him. If we become hungry for God, he's faithful to change us. And if we're not hungry for God, it's probably because we're too full of ourselves. Full of pride. Full of ambition. Full of fear. Full of hurt. Full of doubt. You've heard the statement, like father, like son. The problem with that statement when it comes to referring to our heavenly father and our relationship with him is that he took that first step. Like son, like father. He said, I'll become you so that you can become holy like me. And all throughout the Old Testament, they're trying. They're trying and through their own human abilities and capabilities, they keep failing time and time again. It was like father, like son, like father, like daughter. But when you get to the New Testament and the birth of Jesus Christ, it flips it. And he says, let me become like you so that you can become like me. He chose to look like us, to suffer like us, to do life like us so that we can be like him. And the more time that you spend with him, the more time that you'll begin to look like him. When my son was just a toddler, I remember one time I was sitting in my, my chair. I was reclined feet kicked up. I was watching TV. And back then I used to drink a lot of sweet tea. I haven't had sweet tea in almost like 13 years or something. But I remember I was sitting there probably with a sweet tea in my hand, kicked back in my, my recliner, watching TV. I think it was a Saturday. I was probably watching football on TV. And I look over on the couch and, and Caleb, just, just a little toddler, He's sitting on the end of the couch and he's looking at me. And when I looked at him, he looked at the TV. <laughs> and we had this game going. And I noticed. I looked at his feet and, and they, were, they were barely hanging off the cushion. And his feet were crossed just like mine were. I looked at the sippy cup that was in his hand. And he was holding it exactly like dad was holding his cup and every time I would look away he would look to see what I had changed with the way that I was sitting the way that I was acting and it, it was a neat little game of, of him copying me duplicating me in the same sense a spiritual hunger for God produces a desire to be like him you can't accomplish holiness by yourself. 
But the more time that you spend in his presence, the more you begin to resemble him. So that when you come out of your prayer closet, when you walk out of that worship service, when you walk out of the presence of God, you begin walking into the world and the world starts looking at you and what they see, they can't even define it sometimes, but what they see is someone that's been in the presence of God and it changes the way that you walk and you talk, you react, how you respond, how you love. You know what breaks my heart right now on social media? And it's not just politics, man. It is, it, we live in a nation that is so opinionated. And what we've done is we've dehumanized so many people. And we borderline hate them. Not even stopping to realize that Christ died for them the same way that he died for you. But when you spend time in his presence, you start loving like him. When you spend time in his presence, it changes. Who you are. And then it empowers you to act different. The only way that you will ever accomplish being holy like he is holy is learning to spend more time with him. Many people, they define their relationship with Christ as a desire to go to church or be near godly people or just to make better decisions. And although all of this is important, church, you have to realize that's all a byproduct of being in his presence. When you're in his presence, yes, you, you desire to worship him and, and to be in the presence of other believers and, 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 and to make godly decisions once you're in his presence but when you become so focused on, on when you become so focused on being near him, you have no choice but to start acting like him. L listen to how Peter said it, 1 Peter 2 and 9. He said, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love what God says about not only Israel. Understand, we've been adopted into this family. In Leviticus 20 and 26, he says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples, that you should be mine. And he lays claim to you and says, You're holy, because I claimed you. You're mine. You're more his than that temple was. You're more his than that tabernacle. You're more his than the Ark of the Covenant. You belong more to God than the mercy seat. He laid claim to you and said, be holy because I'm holy. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.